0: Hello and thank you for joining us for what I hope have been interesting and informative discussion around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane where it's a lovely summer's day and today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Atul Deodhar from the Oregon Health and Science University of the USA. Firstly welcome Atul, lovely to see you again and I hope you're all well and COVID-free and the family's all doing well.
1: Thank you. Thank you Peter. Yes, I'm well and my family is well as well. Thanks.
0: So so today we're going to talk about uh, a paper that Atul was an author on which is a review of the JAK stat signaling in the pathogenesis of spondylarthritis and the role of JAK inhibition in the spondylarthropathies. But just as an intro, can you tell us a little bit about yourself Atul, your journey to get to Oregon and a little bit about your interests and in the things that you've been working on lately?
1: Yeah, thanks, Peter. So uh, I'm a rheumatologist. Uh, My current title is Professor of Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. And I arrived in Oregon through England. So I trained in India, went to medical school in India, and then I went to England to do my rheumatology. And I trained at Bath, where my interest in axial spondyloarthritis started. And I did my MD in England, which is like writing a thesis. And I also did my membership of Royal College of Physicians. And then I moved to U.S. in Portland, where I did another fellowship and joined on the faculty. And uh, I'm the medical director of the rheumatology clinic here at Oregon Health and Science University and professor of medicine. And my research interest is uh, axial spondyloarthritis as well as psoriatic arthritis, both being part of the group of diseases called spondyloarthritis. And I do clinical trials, I do epidemiological work and a little bit of uh, Uh, research uh, with uh, my colleagues here in the lab.
0: Excellent, excellent. And can you tell us just before we move on, how has COVID affected your work and how has it changed things in your practice uh, just for the time being?
1: So we were affected very severely around uh, March of 2020 and we completely shut down the clinics for about a month and we discovered that was not really possible and we opened Half a day of clinic just to see patients who required face-to-face visit. And then we slowly started building on that. We have been uh, doing 50-50 of uh, virtual visits and 50% face-to-face. That has now become 75% face-to-face and 25% virtual. And I think that is where it's going to stay in the foreseeable future. Uh, This is the only Oregon Health and Science University is the only medical school for a very long. the entire uh, state of Oregon and uh, people come from long distances. So in a way, the virtual clinics are also useful for patients who have follow-up appointment and uh, uh, things that they just want to, you know, uh, there isn't much examination involved. We are able to assess them quite well, virtually. Um, we are slowly opening up, but now, of course, uh, as we are recording this uh, in the in the month of December, with this new uh, Omicron uh, uh, strain, we don't know how things are going to change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, look, before we get into the paper, the gorilla in the room is oral surveillance. Um, your thoughts and how it's affected Jack prescribing in the US? Has it made a big change? For example, the comment I heard last night at one of our meetings was that there's been a, a trend back to TNFs away from JAX as people react to what has not even a peer-reviewed publication yet? Just a few um, presentations at ACR.
1: Yes, so the um, oral surveillance study has impacted us definitely at uh, OHSU. And in the US, there is a lot of stress on defensive medicine. And there is a worry that if you do something, some harm, there could be some medical legal consequences and uh, because of that uh, there is this trend moving away from jack inhibitors or at least talking to our patients um, in my personal practice and in my division I am the medical director and we directed our all my colleagues to specifically write emails actually there is a electronic way we communicated with our patients that there are new um, risk uh, that have surfaced about jack inhibitors and uh, FDA has given a new jack, uh, black box warning, and we would like to discuss that with you. And we added a little bit information in that letter, but then every time a patient comes to see us, we discuss with the patient and do a uh, much more involved um, shared decision-making which anyway is a good practice in everyday pac- in everyday medicine, clinical medicine, but that has, uh, led us to move some patients from Jack inhibitors to other possible therapies, especially patients with rheumatoid arthritis, especially if they were above the age of 50 and especially if they had some um, cardiovascular risk factors.
0: Okay. Yes, it's, it's an interesting time. Um, we are struggling in the monotherapy space in particular because we can't get tocilizumab for the love of money. It's all, it's all taken up by COVID treatment. We don't have sarilumab, mm-hmm. so that monotherapy space, um, everyone's being changed to a jack from uh, Tossie, and it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this paper recently published in the journal, the British Journal Rheumatology. It's reviewing Jackstat signaling in the spondyloarthritis. I think it was an adve sponsored thing by the look of all the different authors and things. But can you tell us a little bit about what what led you to put this paper together? What were the aims of the paper? And- and then we'll talk about maybe methods and, and results.
1: Yeah, so um, the uh, pathogenesis of arthritis is quite, uh, um, uh, I mean, it's kind of opaque in a way. It's uh, We don't exactly understand how arthritis starts, even though we have ideas about the genetics and the um, environmental factors. But several times we know that there is increased IL-17 and increased TNF so tnf inhibition and il17 inhibition was straightforward for rheumatologists to understand how that works in spondyloarthritis jack inhibitors are somewhat of a different uh, story and there was uh, there has been confusion in the minds of rheumatologists as to exactly how jack inhibitors work certainly there have been phase 2 and phase 3 studies and we can discuss that later but those on jack inhibitors showing that they do work And The reason why we looked or we decided to do a review of literature and publish this study was to explain how JAK inhibitors, um, which there is, I mean, IL-17 receptor and TNF receptors do not have JAK at the bottoms of uh, those receptors, intracellular signaling pathway, but still JAK inhibitors work quite well. And the idea behind publishing this paper was to look at which cytokines directly and indirectly get affected by Jack and which cytokines, which of those are important in the pathogenesis of uh, XCLSPA. So that was the idea why we did this uh, work. Okay.
0: And how did you go about it? Just a literature review and then a summary.
1: Yes, this was mostly literature review of uh, the, uh, the uh, how JAK uh, um, inhibitors really work and which all cytokines they block and which of these cytokines are important in the pathogenesis of XLSPA. And we found some interesting data that we have added there. I mean, again, as I said, IL-17 and TNF, those come to our mind immediately when you ask about which cytokines are important. But just to give an example, IL-7 is one of these uh, cytokines, which is one of these common gamma chain cytokines. And um, these common gamma chain cytokines are blocked um, by JAK inhibitors because there is JAK at the bottom of those, uh, at the IL-17 receptor. And IL-7 has been found to be important, for example, in stimulating ILCs, the innate lymphoid cell, Uh, which we know is a part of the innate cells and they secrete um, IL-23 and IL-17 also, as well as the mate cells, those also have um, uh, the uh, IL-7 stimulates the mate cells. So that is just one example how uh, some direct and indirect blockage of other cytokines help in the pathogenesis. Of uh, SPA and how blocking these cytokines by Jak inhibitors would help in these patients.
0: And what about twenty-one? I know the, the Jak stat involved with twenty-one uh, um, cytokine pathway. So is that an important cytokine to block?
1: Um, do, do you mean IL twenty-three or IL twenty-one? So twelve twenty-three. Yeah. So IL
0: twelve twenty-three. I thought twenty. Yeah. Anyway, what were you going to say?
1: No, know, so I, I was going to say. So,
0: um, I wondered if twenty, yeah, if twelve so, and twenty-one had an important role.
1: Yes. So, uh, twenty-one is another um, common um, gamma chain uh, cytokine. So, it is the uh, there, there are several of these uh, common uh, uh, gamma chain cytokines, and IL two, IL four, IL five, IL seven, and uh, Uh, 15 and uh, 17 uh, and and 21 Uh, those are some of the ones that come to my mind and several of these have indirect effects um, down the line um, in uh, the pathology of axial spondyloarthritis Uh, I was also thinking about the JAK1223 because JAK2 and TIC 2 uh, those are the two um, Uh, molecules, which are at the bottom of the, uh, in the intracellular part of the uh, receptor for uh, both um, IL-12 and IL-23, and blocking those uh, definitely would help in the other uh, spondyloarthritis, such as uh, psoriatic arthritis, where il 1223 23 Mm -hmm. inhibition has been found to be very useful, Uh, and that was the one that I was thinking when you first asked.
0: Yeah. Like axial is very tricky, isn't it? Because uh, used to kinumab, which do block 12 and 23, doesn't seem to be that helpful for axial spa, which is different to peripheral uh, arthritis. And I've always been curious, the jacks are so strong at, at blocking IL-6, and there's a lot of IL-6 in the spine, in the sacroiliac joints, and yet the IL-6 inhibitors didn't work in the AXMOM studies. I don't yeah. quite understand why that should be.
1: Yeah. It only tells us that what we think theoretically should work may or may not work. And I can go even backwards. I mean, IL-1 was probably thought to be very important in rheumatoid arthritis, even more important than TNF. And IL-1 inhibitors do work in rheumatoid arthritis, but nowhere close to the efficacy as TNF inhibitors. And so, unless you do the study um, in uh, in clinical uh, patient population, you never really know whether what you think will be useful or important based on your theoretical knowledge, it may or may not really work. So these are some of these examples.
0: And clearly people who are interested in this paper can download it off the website, the CSF website, and it's a very nice discussion of the pathogenesis and how JAK-STAT is involved in that pathway. Let's talk a little about the key trials of the JAK inhibitors under development in AS. Do you want to comment on select AXIS-UPA and the filgotinib-tortuga study, and even the TOFA studies? Any um, uh, comments you'd like to make about those trials and, and uh, where you'll end up seeing the JAK inhibitors in the treatment algorithm for, for AXPAR?
1: Yeah. So, um, tofacitinib has done um, two trials. The phase two trial was done first and a phase two trial, which was a very small trial, but they looked at the uh, MRI of the sacroiliac joint in that particular trial, and then they followed that with a phase three trial. Both trials were successful. The phase two trial of uh, tofacetinib, they compared um, the two milligram, five milligram and 10 milligram dose of uh, tofacitinib and found that the five milligram BID dose was successful and that's the one which went on in the phase three trial. The phase three trial was completed, was uh, recently published. Uh, filgotinib did only one trial, which was the phase two trial. And for some reason, the filgotinib entire program has gone on the back burner with uh, uh, what uh, the uh, response they received from FDA about their rheumatoid arthritis study. And based on that, the entire filgotinib program has gone on the back burner. But their phase two study was very successful. And in both these studies, the tofacetinib and filgotinib ASAS uh, 40 was the endpoint. And compared to placebo, both uh, tofacetinib and filgotinib were found to be uh, very successful. Uh, upadacetinib completed a f- phase two slash three study, and <clears throat> that's already published, and recently they have, and that study was done in patients with radiographic XLSPA or ankylosing spondylitis. They have followed that with a with two phase three studies, which are not yet published, but one study is on non-radiographic XLSPA um, and certainly in that, and the other one is TNF inhibitor inadequate responder ankylosing spondylitis patients. And so those two studies are different than the first phase two slash three study, which was done in the our routine study of uh, TNF um, uh, of um, ankylosing spondylitis patients who are TNF inhibitor naive. Um, and upadacitinib also showed quite significant robust responses uh, in the phase two slash three study, which is currently out and published uh, recently at the ACR meeting. We presented uh, data on the long-term extension uh, of that study as well. Uh, In in short, both of these show pretty significant uh, of the um, profacetinib and upadacetinib, the two molecules which are still in the market. uh, They definitely show pretty significant efficacy in the treatment of ankylosing spondylitis and the SS20, SS40, Basdi 50, the usual responses uh, that we look at in these trials for efficacy. Uh, look pretty good. Um, none of these are as yet approved in the US for the treatment of ankylosing spondylitis. Upadacitinib uh, is approved in Europe, as far as I know, um, for the treatment of uh, ankylosing spondylitis. Um, so we are awaiting uh, from FDA a response very soon.
0: And FDA makes a funny decision, that, uh, that uh, forgotten decision. It looks like it's got the the least lost the signal and the male sperm study ended up showing that the control group had a lower sperm count than the treatment group, but it (laughs) didn't stop the FDA upsetting the apple cart. And as you said, they just took film away from the US and it's been marketed in Europe and and Japan. So I've seen the data looks very nice in AS. prevented radiological progression. They had all their uh, uh, primary and secondary endpoints, um, all the different domains. It looks, it looks very nice, not just in MT, in the uh, IR bio-naive, but also in the bio-experienced. They had very nice results. So where do you think the Jaxx will land in the algorithm? We're all very TNF uh, glued on. That's uh, 17. Yeah. Where is it
1: yeah. going to land? I think they will land quite high, in the sense that, uh, you know, if you compare rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis together versus ankylosing spondylitis or spa, I should say, we do not have outside of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, we have nothing, which are oral pills such as methotrexate, such as sulfasalazine, such as um, hydroxychloroquine leflunamide. or leflunomide. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We don't have any of that in the ankylosing spondylitis, axial spondyloarthritis arena. These being the first pills, I think they are going to be very, very useful for the ease of, uh, of giving uh, to patients. And in many parts of the world, and I, as I said earlier, I'm from India. When I go to India, I mean, the people don't even have refrigerators in their house. And to store biologics in their own house is a huge, big problem. Pills are always so easy for people to carry for travel, for so many ways. And when they're outside of non steroidal, these are the first oral pills which have been found to be useful. So I think this is going to be a very useful uh, addition. Uh, You asked me a question about the the, earlier on about the oral surveillance trial, and that is people are awaiting with, uh, you know, what exactly will FDA tell us to do about this other, uh, about this indication. My guess is they will probably say something similar that be careful and do a um, good sort of discussion with the patients and do shared decision-making. Now, the difference between this group of patients that we see, these are generally younger patients. This starts at a very, uh, in the age group, uh, which is different than when rheumatoid arthritis uh, might start a little bit later. Uh, the <clears throat> even though uh, cardiovascular uh, morbidity is a major feature in patients with axial spondyloarthritis, because of their younger age, it might be a little bit less compared to, say, in rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis. And so the acceptance of JAK inhibitors in the field of axial spondyloarthritis might be better, better acceptance compared to what we are seeing in rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. So from that angle also, I think this will land a little bit higher and people might be starting to use it sooner.
0: Much less less comorbidities and and, uh, younger, healthier group. Um, I've not seen any uveitis data and the the will be quite nice as a treatment for inflammatory bowel disease. So some of the extra articular manifestations are covered. Do we know about uveitis or haven't seen it yet?
1: It certainly doesn't seem to worsen uveitis. So if you look at the safety part, and we can go into that uh, discussion if you want, but in the safety aspect of uh, JAK inhibitors, both for tofacetinib and upadacetinib, the number of uh, uh, uveitis cases were not increased. And those who had uveitis, there were cases of uveitis, of course, and spondyloarthritis patients have higher risk of uveitis compared to, say, psoriatic arthritis patients. But the, there were no increased. The rates were quite low, and those patients who had uveitis, almost all of them had uveitis to start with, or they had history of uveitis before. So whether it will treat uveitis, we don't know. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem to worsen uveitis. And you're right. I mean, IBD. Uh, it appears that jack inhibitors might in fact be a treatment for IBD. And to our surprise, as you know this very well, Upadacetinib showed a very good response on the skin, which. TOFA certainly hadn't really shown as well. And so dermatologists were not too happy with uh, TOFA's efficacy on skin in psoriasis, but upadacet in skin efficacy looks quite good. So that's also an, that's a positive thing for these other manifestations these patients have.
0: So uh, another uh, paper on the CSF website was a, an Argentinian meta-analysis in IBD. And it really, as you've said, it came down in favor of the JAKs over the TNFs in inflammatory bowel disease. But those meta-analyses are just comparing papers with different patient populations. And Mm. I'm not sure how much credence we should pay to them. But anyway, so Mm. uh, any final comments on this paper about the JAK-STAT pathway, the understanding in AXPAR, the future in AXPAR? Yeah,
1: so... I think this is, it certainly gives us an additional drug in the armamentarium. Again, uh, comparing where the field, treatment field and available choices we have for XLSPA, very limited compared to what we have in psoriatic arthritis compared to what we have in uh, rheumatoid arthritis. As you said, we were hoping IL-6 inhibitors should work and they did not work. We were hoping IL-23 inhibitors would work, did not work. So, JAK inhibitors, has have given us when they get approved will be a very welcome uh, new um, armament, a, a drug in our armamentarium to treat axial spondyloarthritis patients, and the risks uh, also don't look uh, very dramatically different than what we saw in the rheumatoid arthritis. There were some cases with herpes zoster that we know to be to watch for, because these patients are younger and they have got less comorbidity burden, as we said. Um, <clears throat> The um, overall, I think uh, looking down the road, I think this will become um, a predominant class of drugs for use in axial spondyloarthritis because IBD especially as we were speaking just a minute ago is a common problem and IL-17 inhibitors really cannot be used. Um, So from that point of view, I think JAK inhibitors would um, would be competing with uh, TNF inhibitors as the first-line drug as well, is my guess.
0: Excellent. So thank you again for your time, tool. Greatly appreciate you. We know how busy you are. If you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month, you can get detailed slide sets available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast media let us know what you think. Give us some feedback. Rate us in the, uh, in the iTunes. And uh, we greatly appreciate your time. It's great to see you. Stay well, at all, We'll catch up face-to-face. You like open heart.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Peter. <laughs> Good to see you. Take care. All the best. Thank you.
0: Thanks bye a lot. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.